Hello and welcome to Bird Nerds, where we delve into the fascinating world of birds and share the joys of observing them. Hi, I am Adil. And I am Mariam. Adil is a bird nerd in the true sense. He can even make a visit to the grocery store a bird watching trip. Well, jokes apart, he loves to travel and is a seasoned bird watcher. He is also quite well informed about butterflies, snakes, and is a certified beekeeper. 2022 was his big year when he traveled the length and breadth of India, covering 23 states and union territories. He was able to spot over 900 birds in one year. He left no terrain unexplored, be it the cold desert of Ladakh or the dry Thar and Kutch deserts, sea coasts and deep seas, Andaman Islands, the Western Ghats, mangroves of Sundarbans and Vidarkanika. the northeast or the himalayan forests he ranked as india's top birder and was also among the top 2 birders in asia in 2022 mariam has a unique eye for a bird watcher while we may be busy scouting the bushes for hidden treasures her eyes will scan the skies and cliffs for raptors often catching a distant raptor's attention we may have missed many birds of prey if not for mariam's nudge she has accompanied me in many birding adventures to leech infested forests Where the leeches have loved her blood, arid places such as the Kutch, Himalayan escapades, and sometimes even waited along with me during heavy downpour to catch the glimpse of a rare leucicla or a quail. She is an accomplished birder with a species count of over six hundred birds. Join us as we walk you through various habitats and exciting bird trails across India. Although it is very calming to sit by a pond or a stream and observe our friends the herons, cormorants, egrets, ducks and other waders fishing, diving, dabbling and having the time of their lives. It's time for us to step a little further away from the city and seek other pastures. As cities expand, they engulf the nearby villages and thus farmlands turn into concrete jungles. And with this transition, the fauna associated to moves further and further away from our reach well so we need to head further and further into the country to the heartland to come across farmlands and also the associated villages and settlements so today we will head into our food supply hub the farms cultivations orchards and villages and seek out the avifauna that flourishes in these rich areas rich not only in food and resources but also in heart A typical farm is abuzz with activity of chirping birds and the place is alive with flora and fauna and farmers are busy re-sowing the crop or collecting the produce or preparing the soil for seasonal plantation or for that matter watering the fields Generally what I have come across in such places is that the fields are all clustered together and the village is somewhere in the middle There is always a natural water source like a river or canal nearby and hills with scattered trees The cultivations are either of seasonal vegetables or cash crops such as millets, cotton, corn, sugarcane, groundnut, rice, wheat, pulses, etc. While the orchards are plush with trees like mango, papaya, banana, pomegranate, custard apple, oranges, or chiku or any of your favorite fruits. Occasionally, you'll come across fields with cultivations of flowers such as roses, gerberas, marigolds and oil seeds such as sunflower and safflower you can see fields at a stretch with shade providing trees in the middle amidst these fields you will spot 
small human settlements, houses or barns and storehouses, mostly belonging to our farmer friends. Farmlands are a favorite foraging ground for granivores, insectivores and frugivore birds. If you happen to be in a field of millets like jowar or bajra, you will be welcomed by a flock of the cutest birds hanging onto the delicate blades of grass and merrily feeding on the crop. Farmers understand this symbiotic relationship and generally are very kind. Occasionally, where there is a shortage of produce, you will find harmless dazzlers strung across stretches and yes, of course, the traditional scarecrows. If you remember listening to our episode number 3 covering garden and urban birds, then you'll surely remember our reference to the tragedy about sparrows and the disappearance in China and the calamity thereafter. So do check it out if you not have already done so. Yes, this is a definitive episode for you to listen to. Quite similar to the house sparrow, we have the scaly-breasted munias. Earlier known as the spotted munia, these birds are smaller than a sparrow. They have chocolatey brown upper parts and a wide belly with heavily speckled black resembling fish scales. Their bills are dark and conical shaped while the tail is pointed but not long. They prefer open cultivation and can be seen feeding in large flocks. They are found across India but can be commonly spotted primarily during the monsoon season which is their breeding season. In fact, during the monsoons, we get to play a host to a flock of scaly breasted munias in our terrace balcony. In fact, as we speak, the first of the munias have just arrived in our neighborhood for breeding, also signaling the coming of monsoon as per schedule. I first sighted a single bird on the 18th of May. Well, that's very good news and it is a joy having them over and occasionally getting to see them build their globular nests using grass blades. They love to feast on foxtail millets and other fine grains such as grass seeds. During monsoons, there is always a munia to spot soaring across with a green blade of grass tightly held in its beak. Scaly-breasted munias belong to the family of waxbills, which includes other species of munias, avadavats, mannequins, etc. They have a finch-like appearance and characteristic short and conical bills, slim bodies, strong legs, short wings and short tails. They are primarily granivorous and highly social birds, preferring open cultivation. Their heavy conical bills are designed to easily crack out the toughest of grains and easily glean and skin the tiniest of seeds. However, scaly-breasted munias can also be occasionally seen to be feasting on termites from the ground apart from feeding on grains and millets. True. All birds require a bit of protein supplement, especially for the younglings. Another small granivore waxbill found in flocks in such open cultivations is the red avadavat, also known as the red munia or the strawberry finch. In Hindi, they are called as lal munia. Just like scaly-breasted munias, they are smaller than sparrows with a crimson bill, crimson rump and crimson eyes. Breeding males are mostly crimson all over with white spots. Females and non-breeding males are similar with dull brownish plumage. They are unmissable birds, easy to identify, but generally a shy lot. And just like munias, avidavats are also gregarious birds and prefer tall crops and grass, mostly near water. Unfortunately, the beautiful red avidavats are often victims of illegal bird trade. Observing the munias is fun, you just need to maintain a distance. Well, as you observe the munias, it is quite likely that your attention will be diverted by the repetitive, loud, harsh calls of ka, ka from a distance. 
You must have definitely heard this call. The peacock, that is the male of the Indian peafowl or the moor calling, a rather unmelodious call for such a beautiful and majestic bird, also a national bird. I am sure you are aware of how majestic a peacock looks, especially when he is putting up a show or a display for his hen. The display feathers are raised up and fanned out and there is strutting and posturing and quivering of these feathers and it stops as abruptly as it would have started when the female leaves the scene. There is one tidbit of information I'd like to share about these feathers. This long, beautiful and ornamental train of the peacock is actually the abnormally long upper tail coverts. You must have also noticed that the female of the Indian peafowl, the peahen is much duller than the peacock, with brown plumage and lacking their long train. However, the female too has a crest. Peafowls can be found in deciduous forests, plains, foothills and around water bodies. They are often semi-domesticated around villages and cultivations, probably due to the grains fed by the villagers and farmers. Another interesting fact is that they are absent in Northeast India, being found only in the plains of Assam and some occasional reports from Sikkim. Indian peafowls are very shy but alert birds and quickly disappear in undergrowth pacing through on foot, only flying occasionally and for short distances. Now that the calls of the peacock have subsided, back in the field you are likely to be confused by moving soil. I mean that you are likely to find the paddy field pipit. A bird which camouflages so well in the environment that it is as if the bird is the soil and the soil is the bird. That is so poetic. Only mm. the paddy field pipit knew this, that it inspires such poetry. Okay, this pipit is bigger than the sparrow and has colors similar to that of a female house sparrow. They are slimmer than the house sparrow. Their bills are bicolored, long and slender. The tail too is longer than the sparrow, with outermost feathers being white. The paddy field pipit is dark brown above, being marked with fulvus, which is a shade of brown. Underparts are fulvus, streaked with brown on the breast. As the name indicates, paddy field pipits are fond of fields both ploughed and stubbled. They prefer open country, plains, grazing fields and grassy hillsides. They can be seen running along briskly in the fields in search of small insects, often wagging their tails up and down like the wagtails in slow motion. They have a distinct call when in flight, which goes something like. There are few resident pipits in India and many winter visitors, which especially are quite confusing to distinguish one from the other. The paddy field pipit is the most widely distributed species across the country. Few of the local names are Rugel, Savory and Cherchery. In these flocks of Munyas and Avadavats and the solitary pipits, in farmlands, it is quite likely that you'll come across another ground bird which is also brown, the rufous-tailed lark. Also sometimes known as the rufous-tailed finch lark, it is a ground bird found in open country ploughed fields and areas neighbouring cultivations. It is slightly larger than the sparrow and the rufous brown lark with a bright rufous coloured tail with a black band at its end. They are found usually in pairs, preferring to feed on the ground and even nesting on the ground. Their nests are usually found in slight depressions in freshly ploughed fields. Even paddy field pipits have similar nesting habits. 
They are also ground nesters and even used old impressions on ground caused by animal hooves as nesting places. The rufous-tailed lark has a heavy conical bill, quite unlike the pipit. Also, the larks are beautiful songsters, unlike the pipits. Wow, isn't that a beautiful note by the lark? I am sure it will reverberate in your ears for days. Well, foraging in bushes and gardens and countrysides, in scrublands and grasslands, scattered about around the fields, we are sure to find a group of babblers. These habitats are home to the jungle babblers, the yellow-eyed babblers, and in more arid places, the common babblers, which are found mostly during winters. Even the large grey babblers have a wide habitat distribution. Hope you remember encountering them earlier when we were walking through our neighborhood scrubland in our very first episode. Jungle babblers, also known as Saad Bhai or Seven Sisters, are smaller than the Maina, earthy brown in color, and slightly untidy looking birds with a long tail. They move about in flocks of six or seven, giving them their name of seven. This sisterhood or brotherhood hops about on the ground amidst fallen leaves looking for moths and insects. These are gregarious birds and noisy as well. You can hear their constant chatter as they forage, probably sharing the daily news and gossip with each other, which actually has led to them being called the Seven Sisters. Another babbler likely to be seen here is the yellow-eyed babbler. It is smaller than a bulbul and smaller than a jungle babbler also. It is more brightly coloured too, quite dapper in appearance. It is cinnamon and chestnut brown coloured above, white below and has a prominent orange-yellow orbital ring or eye ring. The local Hindi name is Gulab Chashm, which is a reference to its eye, which means one wearing rosy spectacles. Like the other babblers, the yellow-eyed babbler also forages in light flocks, often found clinging to reed stems hanging upside down in various acrobatic and yogic poses. They are great skulkers and can often be heard singing from deep within the bushes. If it's a good time in the day, early or late, you can see them in the open calling from open perches or bushes. Now that was the call of the yellow-eyed babbler. Another babbler, which is the common babbler, prefers dry open country and semi-desert scrublands. It is the size of a bulbul, slim in shape, having a long, graduated tail. The upper parts have dark streaking on an otherwise earthy brown-colored body. Found foraging in flocks, the gang makes a ruckus when agitated or disturbed and starts twitching their tails and wings hopping from bush to bush, all the while whistling in a not-so-orchestrated chorus. That was the call of the common babbler. Nests of all these babblers are targets of cuckoos like the pied cuckoo and the hawk cuckoos such as the common hawk cuckoo. 
If you remember our episode 4, where we covered birds found in gardens and urban spaces, you will recall our conversation about cuckoos being brood parasites. The nests of these babblers are parasitized by them. That is, these cuckoos lay their eggs in the nests of babblers who incubate and hatch the eggs and nurture their young. We've talked a lot more about this in our episode number 4, so do listen to it. Most of the birds we have spotted till now move about in flocks. Let's look at some solitary ones. Also, it's been quite some time since we last spotted a raptor. And the first one that comes to my mind is an excellent hunter, the blackwing kite. In size smaller than a house crow, the delicately built kite is ashy grey above and white below. It has a black line above its bright red eyes and black patches on its shoulders that are visible when it is in flight as well as at rest. Their tail is short, square and white. The black-winged kite was earlier also known as the black-shouldered kite. The black-winged kite reminds me of the pied kingfisher. If you remember, the way the kingfisher hovers over water waiting for a fish to surface, the black-winged kite hovers over land in mid-air waiting for its prey to make a move and mark its presence. Yes, they do seem to have a similar hunting style. Also, if you remember, the common kestrel too hovers over land. We discussed the pied kingfisher in our episode 7 while visiting the birds by the stream, while the common kestrel made an appearance in our episode number 2 as we scanned our neighborhood scrubland. The blackwing kite is a common sight in open country and cultivation, but not seen in dense forests and vegetation. It prefers an open perch, often seen in its favored area and perch, preferring to stalk its prey from the same spot day in and day out. It's locally known as Kapasi in Hindi, a reference to the cottony white colors it adorns. In Sinhala, it is referred to as the Ukusa, meaning the hawk. Now Adil, it's been a while since we spotted any owls in our habitats. Do you think we have one lurking nearby? Well, this habitat is quite conducive to the farmer's friend and if you are lucky you will be able to spot the adorable barn owl or at least hear one. One of my favorites, the barn owl, is almost the size of a jungle crow with a characteristic heart-shaped white face having a buff outline to it known as a facial disc. It is golden buff and grey above being finely stippled with black and white, like in a painting, while the underparts are silky white and a fine sprinkle of buff and dark brown colors. The barn owl is usually found close to human habitation and its favorite haunts are abandoned buildings, forts and ruins. Like most owls, it is nocturnal and its flight is without a flutter, being as quiet as a down feather gliding through air. In fact, its flight doesn't even create any wind, so there is no sound, no gust, as if the bird is teleporting. The barn owl's favorite food is mice and other rodents and this makes it the farmer's friend offering free pest control services. Well, its flight may be silent and without a flutter, but its call is rather screechy and can give you a fright when you're dreaming. There, sweet dreams now. Well, our love for birds and the owls is quite uncanny. I remember one night, just when the clock had struck 12, 
Mariam, you upon hearing uh, the screech, you woke me up from slumber so that we could watch the owl visiting our balcony from behind the curtains. Do you remember? Yes, that was quite an unexpected visit, but nevertheless very exciting. Yeah. I had always wished for the owl to visit us and had even created a perch for it. We were quite joyous. Owl did make an appearance. The barn owl has a global distribution being found across continents except for Antarctica. In Asia, its distribution is mainly in the Southeast Asian region. Well, there are many myths associated with owls and many such myths lead to threats to owls and their habitats. We'll speak more about this issue in our upcoming episodes, but I'll leave you with this one for to ponder about. In English, we say as wise as an owl, while in Hindi, people say Ullu jaisa manus, implying that the person is quite unlucky, ill-bearing or jinxed like an owl. In fact, owls are looked upon unfavorably and their sightings are a bad omen. Well, for me, owls are beautiful and well-meaning. We'll look at these issues and their origins soon. Well, so many dichotomic views. The Bengalis call the barn owl Lakshmi Pecha or Lakshmi's owl, referring to the owl being the vehicle of the Hindu goddess Lakshmi, the goddess for wealth and prosperity, and much more, and thus a very positive association and connotation for the owl. Well, in Hyderabadi, there is a saying, Ullu ka patha. I am sure you must have heard this one. Owls and their hoots. But it's time to move your boots. Hmm. So if you happen to be walking on a muddied path in the midst of fields, another mud-colored bird with a distinct beautiful crest will definitely get your attention. It will be busy foraging on the ground using its long, down-curved bill to extract the juiciest of worms from the underworld. It will keep walking and hopping ahead of us, taking flight as you get closer, only to land a bit ahead and the same repeats forever. Indeed. The Eurasian hoopoe, another unique beauty. Known locally as Hudud, the hoopoe is a fawn-colored bird with black and white zebra-like markings on its wings, back and tail. Its most characteristic feature is the long crest which opens up like a fan just after landing. And like Maria mentioned, it has a long slender downcurve bill that it uses to probe into soil for insects. It waddles about with a quail-like gait and you can find it moving about in lawns or fields and in and around villages, open country, plains, hills and even in tiger land. Where our gypsy safaris will keep trailing the bird as it tries to move ahead on the trail and forage until it finally figures out that the only way around is making it fall behind, till another gypsy starts the whole process all over. It is found practically throughout India and migrates locally. The call is a distinct hoop-hoop or a hoot-hoot. I guess that is where the name comes from. Well, while the hoopoe is usually found diligently probing on the ground, up on the electric wires you will find a striking blue bird waiting upon its prey. A solitary hunter, the Indian roller is a pigeon-sized bird with a heavy black bill, rufous brown breast and pale blue belly and undertails. 
I am sure you must have definitely seen the Indian roller. Wait till it takes flight and you will be left mesmerized by the shades of blue on its wings, tail and abdomen. It's a beauty which never ceases to amaze. The Indian roller is a state bird for three Indian states, Odisha, Karnataka and Telangana. During the British era, it was referred to as the blue jay. In Hindi, the color of the bird gives the Indian roller its name, the Neelkant, which means blue throat in English. A reference to Lord Shiva, the all-powerful Hindu god who has a blue throat as a result of swallowing poison which was churned out during Samudra Manthan or churning of the ocean. To save the three worlds, Lord Shiva swallowed the poison, Halhala, giving his throat the blue color. This important reference makes the sighting of this bird auspicious. In fact, sighting the roller on the Sera, which is an important Hindu festival, is considered a blessing bringing prosperity and good luck. This also has led to practices of catch and release, wherein a few people trap the bird and sell it to one seeking good luck, who then release the bird. Thus, both the religious significance and to protect this lovely bird from trappings, we have three states protecting it in the name of state birds. Don't let the beauty fool you because when it comes to hunting, this blue beauty is no less than a raptor. Usually using an overhead wire as a vantage point, the Indian roller, when finding its prey, ideally a lizard or frog or a large insect, pounces upon it, catches hold of it and leisurely takes it to its perch where the prey is battered and swallowed. The black-winged kite, the barn owl, the Indian roller and the hoopoe are all very beneficial to farms and cultivations, being fantastic pest controllers that the nature has provided. So the only threat they face is that their food and snack may be laced with poison in the forms we use, such as the rat poison and pesticides. If we cannot completely avoid harmful substances and products, we must at least try to reduce its consumption to a minimum and check the damage to our flora and fauna. I am stuck with this phrase that I read on a banner many years back. Avoid manageable and manage avoidable. Same goes without saying for our consumption and obsession with plastics. Not being preachy, but it is what it is today. Well, before we sign off, a little update on the Global Big Day, which was on the 13th of May. This year, 7,436 species were reported, with birders across the globe submitting 1,43,000 or 143,000 checklists in 24 hours, breaking the last year's world record of 132,000. Colombia was at the top, recording the highest species count of 1,433 species, followed by Peru, Brazil, Ecuador, and India. Hope you are also a part of this year's event. If not, there's always a next time. Well, as usual, there are always more birds to discuss than we have time. So let's wrap up this episode. We hope you enjoy listening to our chatter. Please check our Instagram pages for photographs of all the birds we have discussed in this episode as well as the previous ones. You'll find them as a compilation in our feed. All photographs have been clicked by my very talented co-host Adil. We will be back next Thursday with another refreshing episode where we will continue our bramblings about birds. Hey, you two have become a birdsmith. I mean a wordsmith. So stick with us and we'll take you along on wonderful birding trails across India. And as your understanding grows, we'll spice it up with other facets of being outdoors. 
make sure to follow us on our Instagram pages. You can follow me on peregrinator.in that is P-E-R-E-G-R-I-N-A-T-O-R dot I-N And you can follow me on Mariam's Pick Clicks that is M-A-R-I-A-M-S P-I-C as in Pick C-L-I-C-K-S as in Clicks You can check our show description for our social media handles. Make sure to like, share and subscribe to our podcast on platforms of your choice be it Hubhopper, Spotify, Amazon Music, Geo Savan, Ghana or even Google Podcasts. So make sure to tune in next week. Till then, happy birding and a happier feeling. Goodbye.